0: Welcome to the workshop Anonymity, Attraction, Not Promotion. My name is Julie. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi, Julie. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and are not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, Ask It Basket questions and sharing on this topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from As Bill Sees It, page 120. Our first speaker is Mary from Los Gatos, who will speak for 25 minutes. Our second speaker is Jack, from Whittier, who will speak for 25 minutes. I'd like to introduce Mary from Los Gatos, our first speaker.
1: Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm a Capulco reader. Well, I'm glad everybody's here this morning. I, um, I want to let you know what exactly page 120 in the book, as Bill sees it, says. So let me read this for you. It says, "In my view, there isn't the slightest objection to groups who wish to remain strictly anonymous, or to people who think they would not like their membership in AA known to all. That is their business, and this is a very natural reaction." However, most people find that anonymity, to to this degree, is not necessary, even desirable. Once one is fairly sober and sure of this, there seems no reason for failing to talk about AA membership in the right places. This has a tendency to bring in other people. Word of mouth is one of the most important communications. So we should criticize neither the people who wish to remain silent, not even nor even the people who wish to talk too much about being uh, belonging to AA, provided they do not do so at the public level and thus compromise our whole society. So um, this is Bill Wilson's opinion about anonymity. And um, I know in, in our traditions we talk about anonymity being the spiritual foundation of our program, but he seems pretty open about whether, you know, the choice of remaining anonymous or not remaining anonymous, although the program as a whole doesn't, you know, publicize at, at, or have any publicity at the public level. And uh, I was kind of surprised when I read this. Bill um, Wilson being a salesman and a politician kind of person, kind of going right down the middle of the road. So you get your own choice about how you want to handle your own anonymity or your membership in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, although the traditions clearly state that anonymity is part of the philosophy of our 12-step programs. And I really was kind of glad about that. Um, you know, my issues with food, my issues with life were very difficult to talk about with anybody. And uh, the idea that I could remain anonymous and not have uh, and not have to uh, um, really put out who I was, what I did, and stuff like that was very attractive to me about the uh, about 12-step programs. And I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. And, um, you know, I'm in a time in my life where the anonymity is kind of coming up a little bit. I've been in recovery for quite a while, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, changes in my life, thank God, due to the Overeaters Anonymous program. And um, I don't know, you know, the byline of our talk this morning is attraction rather than promotion. I don't know that I'm really out there attracting new people to Overeaters Anonymous because I'm pretty, pretty close to the chest about belonging to Overeaters Anonymous. I'm in the helping professions, and I work in the field a bit, and there's part of me that doesn't really share or do a lot of self-disclosure about my own recovery because I don't want helping other people. In helping other people, I don't want the issue to turn back on me. I want to keep it on them and, and you know, what they need to do. And if it gets on me, then I figure that distorts, you know, any kind of therapeutic alliance. And then I had to be really honest with myself. I wonder why I don't do that much self-disclosure. I'm also in another 12-step program and I feel a lot freer to talk about the other 12-step program than I do in my Recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. So I really have had to do a little internal search here about kind of what's that all about. And part of it goes back to, you know, a couple of things that, um, because I couldn't do this, I almost died. And the two things I couldn't do was ask for help. I knew a long time ago. I probably knew when I was an adolescent, a teenager, that my relationship with food was very different than everybody else's. You know, my sister, my older sister, she'd get her allowance. She'd buy things like nylons, lipstick, makeup, and stuff like that. And I'd get my allowance, and I would spend the whole thing on food. And then I would buy the food, and I would secret it up in our room and lay it out across my bed and eat each individual item. I never had this really kind of food is just for nutrition attitude. It was like fun Reward, entertainment, whatever. I kind of knew from the get-go, and things didn't get any better after that. Um, I also came from a, a family where um, there was a lot of conditional love. Now, I realized that they were doing as where the times were, and at that time in parenting, you know, you didn't tell your kids you did a good job or stuff like that because you didn't want them to get a swelled head. Um, they called it silent praise. You know, you just didn't say anything if things were okay, but you were really right there if things weren't okay. And the bottom line is you kind of got this feeling of unconditional or of conditional love and that I really didn't, um, I really didn't uh, know how to even relate to myself because I wasn't really lovable unless I was getting good grades, unless I was behaving, unless I was going to church, unless you weighed a certain amount and stuff like that. So I had this conditional way of treating myself inside. So I never knew how to ask for help, and my family you didn't ask for help. You should know the answers, whatever. God forbid you don't. God forbid that you let anybody know that you don't know. So given the background of kind of conditional love, silent praise, inability to ask for help, I was very, um, I limped along in life, and I found things to help me feel better. And the one item in my life that had always been there was food. And food helped me feel better. Somebody spoke about that last night. I, I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, I, I just didn't want to know what I was doing to myself, but food helped me feel better. And this is a program of attraction. And I think some of the things that attracted me to OA was people spoke the truth here. Nobody got punished for it. People were very accepting. They didn't really care what you did with food or what got you here. It was okay to take a seat here. And I was really grateful for that because my story with food was different than other people's stories. I came into OA in 1984 and um, at that time there weren't as many variances in food, what you did with food as they kind of are today. But I knew that food was like my drug of choice. I knew what it was like to be able to use food to, you know, make my mood be different. And I was so grateful when I came here that nobody really cared, just take a seat. Nobody asked any questions, and they made it easier to ask for help because I didn't know how to ask for help. I knew how to help you. I was very happy for you when you got help. I was very happy for you when you got successes, but I didn't know how to translate that into how to treat me. So when I uh, first became willing to become willing, I was really scared, and I was really, really grateful that there wasn't any kind of membership, Could you just come here and take a seat. And to me, that is really attractive about Overeaters Anonymous. No questions, just come and take a seat. So I think about what makes this program attractive. That was one thing, that there's no requirement for membership except the desire to stop screwing around with food where you compulsively overeat, whatever you do. It's all, and you just come and take a seat. The other thing that's attractive to me about this program is that people really, really start to deal with what's real. I didn't know what was real when I got to Aries Anonymous. I could, I had a head that lied. I could make up stories and make things right. I mean, what kind of person spends all their free time gathering binge food, binging and thinks that's a wonderful life? And don't get people there or telephone calls because they mess up my binge time. I made that be all right. I mean, my head, you know, I just didn't know how to be honest with myself. So, another thing that was attractive to me about the Overeaters Anonymous program when I first got here, in fact, it was scary, is when I got here, people spoke the truth. They talked about the power of a certain food item. They talked about the overwhelming need to eat something as opposed to sleep, work, do whatever. They talked about the secretive life that they led as a compulsive overeater, and, like, it I really didn't want to hear that. It was like the truth hitting me right in the face. But it, it was attractive to me about this program because these people knew. These people really knew what it was like to be a compulsive overeater. The other thing that was attractive to me about this program is that even though these people had issues with food, even though they did not have a really, you know, they had they, they were having lives that they suffered through this issue with food, they had found an answer. They had found a different way of living. And... In the program, it seemed like there were people that had been around a while, that had really gotten something locked in, and people that were in various stages of recovery, and that was really helpful to me because I could see people that were just like me, that were kind of newbies, and other people that had been here for a while that were willing to share what was going on till they got to a more peaceful relationship with food. So it gave me hope. When I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I really do not I didn't really know what was going to happen, but by Seeing that there was recovery here it really gave me hope and that was very attractive to me about this program. Other things that were attractive that in the hope there actually was a lesson plan that you could follow called the steps of the program. There was something I could do and if I were willing to do it, I could make my life different. I'm a kind of person, I'm a linear thinker. I like things in order. I like to, you give me a to-do list. Um, even. Uh, technical things drive me crazy, but if you give me step one, two, three, and 4 that I can follow, then I, you know, I've got a chance with it. So I was glad there was like this kind of to-do list or some type of linear kind of way of helping you called the steps. At that time, I really didn't know it was going to take all of my life and effort to be able to do the steps, but I liked that there were steps. So it gave me hope that if I did certain things that I also could make my life different. And another thing that was very attractive to me and kind of scary too was that the way the program worked is that one person helped another person. That the person who was a Compulsive O-Reader really knew what it was like, so as part of their recovery path, they would help the next person. And that was very attractive to me also. I don't know another organization that kind of works that way, Um, you know, out in the work world, in the family life, whatever. It's kind of get what you can, get yours. I got mine, hurry up, get yours. There wasn't this idea of, here, let me help you get yours. I got a piece here, and this is what I did. And if you do this, I bet you'll get the same results. That's very attractive to me, that the way that a person recovers is to help the next recovering person. And I haven't spoken anything about the spirit, the smiles, the warmth, the hug, about the people themselves in Overeaters and Honors that was so attractive to me. There was a spirit. No matter what was going on in a person's life, other people would say, you'll get through it. It's going to be okay. Or you've got a victory. All right, we're going to celebrate it with you. We're here to support you. There was this brightness and this smile and very strange kind of humor. People really knew what it was like to binge and secret and start to talk about stuff and hide their lives from other people. Ha, ha, ha. It was kind of hard to laugh at myself when I first came here because I was thinking, yeah, I do that too, but I wasn't laughing about it. And it was so nice to have other people talk the truth out there and kind of laugh at it and say, you know, this is kind of silly, this is kind of crazy. That was very attractive to me because when I came over to Overuse anonymous, I was a very, very depressed, glum person. And if you had my life, you'd be glum too. I, I, you know, I I was out of options. Food wasn't working anymore. I don't know about you guys, but food wasn't working anymore. That didn't mean I didn't stop compulsively overeating, but I knew that food wasn't working anymore. So the idea that I could make light of what was not very light in my life was very attracted to me about this program. And the people were very warm and very inviting and very kind. It was scary for me at first because I don't know about the rest of you, but I had this phobia about don't like me too much. That's, I can't take all that. I was beating myself up so much inside my head if you were nice to me, that would make me feel anxious. It was almost kind of, I had a phobia about don't be, too, don't be too nice to me. So it took me a while to be able to let people in, let people be there, let people be kind, because inside myself, I wasn't very kind to myself. And as people were kind to me on the outside, inside, I started to be kinder to myself also. Now, the fact that we're all here this morning in the configuration we are It's absolutely not by coincidence. I just truly, totally believe in the spiritual part of this program. It is an attraction to me about this program. It was not one of the original attractions, and I know this happens for a lot of people when they come to Oviders Anonymous. It's all about the food and the weight. If I could just get the food and the weight thing down, then I will be happy. I knew nothing about the inside and the spiritual part of this program. So what brought me here was the food and the weight. What has kept me in over the Evers Anonymous is the spirituality of this program and the promise of having, sometime during the day, a state of peace of mind. I never had a state of peace of mind before, especially with overeating. So what attracted me was the idea of dealing with the food and the weight. What has helped me over the years is realizing the food and the weight are the surface issues. The real issue is the inside part. The inside part was I did not have a relationship with myself. I really did not know how to live life. I kept doing the conditional love to myself inside my head. I kept trying to get it right. I didn't know that it wasn't about getting it right. It was about surrendering and let right happen to me. I thought if I could change the outside of my body, the outside of my life, you, everybody on the outside, then I would be happy. I didn't know it worked the other way around, that by surrendering and opening up my heart and allowing my higher power to flow in and flow out, then I would get this degree of happiness and peace of mind. I always thought it was arranging the things outside myself. And by doing that, I would be able to attain, attain happiness on the inside. And I still try to do this today. And I'll arrange this and arrange that. And when I get all angst and all caught up, I go, I think this is a place where you just surrender and let, let God take over. And I felt that way about this morning, about, you know, our, you know, our session here this morning. And I thought, you know, this is, if this is in your hands, God. Whatever it is that needs to come out will be what comes out. And that's real different because I was the kind of person that kind of had to have everything, ABC, subset, subset, subset. I was raised to have long-term goals, short-term goals. And you better have your act in order, stuff like that. And the truth is, the exact opposite is the way that, it's been my path to spirituality, my path to peace of mind. Now, this isn't something that has been uh, an overnight success at all. It's been very gradual, and I'm really grateful. You know, the promises say to us that they're fulfilled sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, and I'm one of the slowly variety, and I'm really grateful. That it's really the slow variety. I believe my purpose in life is to learn and grow. I used to think my purpose in life was to accumulate and to achieve, but the truth is it's to learn and grow. And the Overeaters Anonymous program has given me the opportunity to learn and grow in a lot of different areas. The thing that's not, sometimes not okay with me with the learning and growing theme is oftentimes learning and growing is uncomfortable. I don't like discomfort. I like to have a past deal. I like to have a beginning, middle, and end. I like to be in a niche and just feel comfortable in there. And oftentimes growing is uncomfortable. My sponsor calls that discomfort spiritual growth. I keep thinking if God could just send me a fax or something, you know, we could get over this intuition and, you know, messages from whatever. But the truth is a lot of times discomfort is spiritual growth. It's a way of saying, okay, you can do change. There's another part of you that you're going to be able to experience. When I got uncomfortable before I ate, that's what I did. I would just eat. I just want to speak a little bit about eating because that's kind of what gets us in this program. I want to let you know there wasn't a day in my life I didn't think about food and weight, not a day. I could give you the caloric count of every item in the world. I could walk in a room and tell you the exact body weight of everybody in that room. I could tell you their thigh circumference. I had a knack. It's just a skill. I wish it were marketable. Walk in a room, I could do it. Um, I had a lot of... um, Part of my story is also being bulimic. In my life, I uh, there was a time when I weighed 75 to 80 pounds and I thought it was cool. Um, I was a helper. I was always out there helping. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't have like order, eating disorders and whatever. Nobody knew even what they were. But I was definitely a living example of an eating disorder. Um, we didn't even have that word. We didn't have that phrase. We'd, you know, it was, just wasn't out there. Um, that, you know, you can ask anyone with an issue about food, you know. You know when you're eating this disordered. You know when you're not like everybody else. You know that other people just don't fit every waking hour, and day. And I used to think to myself, this is my lot in life. It's always going to be this way. I'm always going to have the scale in the bathroom. You go in the bathroom, you weigh yourself, you brush your teeth, you weigh yourself. Uh, it's always going to be that way. And, you know, you play the game where you kind of lean a little bit and you make it a little bit less. You know, you, all the games with the scale. And all, I thought that was just my lot in life. And after a while, I kind of discovered, you know, not everybody does this, but what the heck, this is just your lot in life. And I just thought that's what it was going to be. And I could go in denial for a while, and then sometimes I would just like break down, and I would look in the mirror, and I would just cry and cry and cry, and I would say to myself, what is wrong with you? There is something wrong with you. And inside of me, there was this little voice crying that would just say, somebody love me, somebody tell me I'm okay. I still get in my throat when I think of that. and. That's what it was about. I couldn't love me. I didn't know how to do that. And food really, really helped me not feel that feeling. It helped me not feel depressed. It helped me not feel that feeling of longing, that longing of somebody else to tell me I'm okay. And through the program of recovery and connection with a higher power, I get validated that my higher power loves me and that I have an opportunity to live my life a different way. Now, Part of um, the topic today about anonymity has to do with the traditions of our program, the Tradition 9 and Tradition 10. And I I remember when I first got to this program, I thought that the traditions were a nice addition, but I really wasn't sure. You know, it seems to me the steps are important, but what's with the traditions? Well, then I realized when you look at the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, as you probably see groups and readers anonymous, we all don't agree on the same thing and that the traditions were a very necessary part of the survival of the 12-step programs. They came into being because people needed kind of the rules of operation, kind of the Robert's rules of operation. Because you get all these recovering people with an opinion about something and they couldn't kind of keep the organization together. So the traditions came out way after the big book did in the steps, but it gave the organization a way of molding itself around certain principles so that it could go forward. And Overeaters Anonymous has got the gift of inheritance of both the steps and the traditions to help us live our life a different way. I'm really grateful to be here today. I'm really grateful we've had this opportunity to be this, together this morning. I'm also grateful for the opportunity to feel God's love in my life. I can only feel God's love in my life to the extent that I feel my own love for myself. Every one of us is a living miracle even be here. We all said, stop, my life's not working, I need to do something different. We all found O Readers Anonymous as a tool to help us do that and live our lives a different way. We're all here today because we love ourselves enough to be here and to keep learning and keep improving and growing as human beings and as spiritual beings. And we're all here today in this room to share that love with one another. And I'm so grateful to have been part of that. Thanks.
0: Our second speaker is Jack from Whittier, who will speak for 25 minutes.
2: Jack, compulsive overeater from Whittier. Uh, thank you, Mary. Thank you for my reading, Julie. Uh, I've been a member of this August fellowship since the 12th of February, 1971, and abstinence from somewhere between the middle of May and the latter part of August, of 1971. So it's a long time. <coughs> And I think that the uh the traditions are vital to the survival of the fellowship uh I heard a man at a meeting say once that uh that he originally felt that the steps were more important than the traditions, and then the longer he's been around, the more he realized that it's actually the other way around because he said that if he uh if he didn't work the steps, adhere to the steps, that he may die. Uh, But that if he didn't adhere to the traditions, others may die. And that uh, if we all don't uh, adhere to the spirit of the traditions, the fellowship as a whole will die. Uh, And I think that that's a a great responsibility for uh, for each of us, and in the big book, the introduction to the traditions, the A.A. traditions, they basically uh, paraphrase uh, Benjamin Franklin, who, in the early days of the of the uh, formation of this country, said that if we do not hang together, we will most assuredly hang separately, and that uh, is true today. And I'd like to note that Bill Wilson, uh, in the early part of the big book states that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is not an organization in the usual sense of the word and thereafter he does not use the word uh, organization. He referred to uh, AA always as fellowship or as society and usually capitalized those two words uh, because there's a sense of reverence. The word uh, organization in most people's minds and in fact AA had a chance to get congressional protection. It's in uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous Comes of Age and it was uh, a group of, of members that investigated it and came back and advised against it because they said that it would end up making Alcoholics Anonymous an organization and therefore more of a of a business and a moneymaker and that uh, they thought it best to not do it and remain a fellowship and therefore a spiritual entity. And uh, the best message, as I think was conveyed earlier, is always one member speaking to another member. Even though uh, attraction rather than promotion refers to the 11th tradition which uh, I will read in the long form. The long form is uh, is very important. And it's on page 192 in uh, the AA 12 and 12. Our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our names and pictures as AA members ought not be broadcast, filmed, or publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by this principle of attraction rather than promotion. There is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. And uh, you know, he states that in the early days there were many AA members who who sought to. Uh, advertise themselves or the fellowship and do so in a very public manner and that it was starting to get out of control and they quickly realized that if they didn't uh, put the lid on it, it would end up being very detrimental to the society. And uh, fortunately for other fellowships, including Overeaters Anonymous, uh, they learned their lessons earlier and that can also be kind of unfortunate because people in another fellowship might say, well, that's for those alkies, and that doesn't have to be the case with us. But I think it has always proven to be the case. Um, and I, I love this, uh, this fellowship very much. Uh, it saved my life. And I also uh, love Roseanne because without Roseanne there wouldn't be an Overeaters Anonymous and frankly there wouldn't be the offshoots uh, that have developed over the years. And so uh, we all owe a great debt of gratitude uh, for her for uh, staying around and not giving up. Um, And uh, a speaker once quoted Winston Churchill when he said that uh, Winston Churchill was asked to give a an address before a, a college class. I think it was a college class, and he went up, and as verbose as he could be, I understand that he said this: "Never give up, never give up, never, never, never give up." And he sat down. Uh, and uh, so, while we can uh, in in our own individual lives or whatever we can publicize the heck out of ourselves. In, in here, it, uh, it states in AA comes of age regarding the 11th tradition. This ultimatum was an alarming poser. It looked like promotion, professionalism, and anonymity breaking all in one package. If this sort of venture proved successful from the promoter's point of view, Every man and salesman, every ad man and salesman in Alcoholics Anonymous would soon be selling AA's wares willy-nilly. We would lose all control over our public relations. And so uh, they feel, as it says in the long form, that the best way is to let our friends recommend us, and that is uh, is very true, and that they state that uh, that the press found it so uh, interesting that whenever there was a, a traditions break, that the headquarters would write letters to the station asking them, uh, telling them about the, the 12 traditions, especially the 11th tradition, and asking them to refrain from printing in- personal information about individual members. And that they uh, they thought that that was, uh, was so cool that they quickly started doing a job of self-editing, and that most, uh, most members now adhere to that, and the same is, is true here. So that's why, even though it is all right to promote Overeaters Anonymous as a whole, it's always best to do so in a manner that doesn't take the risk of, uh, of enhancing me at the public level or any individual member at the public level. And there's a great temptation in that. I mean, how many of us wouldn't like to see our names in, in big, bold print? Or, but uh, it's always best to let others recommend us. And in, in Bill's story, uh, he states two things. Uh, one's in AA comes of age when he first met Dr. Bob, and he learned that he had, had stopped preaching and that he was sharing as one alcoholic to another and that that worked where preaching didn't and the other was that in his story in the big book he states about the number of people in his kitchen that he's talked to so despite the the amount of the media that's out there usually the best message is just one person carrying the message to another person who suffers from the condition and uh and just letting it lie there i know Different people have different approaches, but I think it's uh, it's usually best. Uh, I when I'm when I'm not in public, uh, I I don't usually uh, say anything to anybody that I I feel could use Overeaters Anonymous, other than maybe making some sort of a, a general quip. And if they pick up on that and are curious about it, it'll usually be a quip about myself, and I'm glad that I don't have to that you know, I used to eat that and I don't any longer and I'm really grateful. And if they pick up on that, fine. And if they don't, uh, then that's all right too. But I don't want to end up feeling pushy or being pushy. Uh, and for myself, I know people that, uh, that have no problem in uh, approaching an individual and saying something. But I had uh, an instance early on where I did that in the form of uh, passing a note to a lady in a restaurant as I was leaving, and i I don't know that i'll ever forget the expression on her face as I looked back and she had read the note and the hurt and the anguish on her face, and she passed the she had passed the note to her uh, husband, I think it was, and he was livid. Uh, and she restrained him, thank goodness I'm still here you know but uh but it was mostly the look of hurt and anguish, and I realized it's not for me to uh to pull somebody's covers if they haven't asked me to uh, and so you know I, I feel fine about little cards you know, where I put my name down or whatever and put it there and those are are all means, and it's it, it's all right to at that level. Uh, you know, are especially at, at meeting levels. Like I often share my full name because it's in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous and it's not before the general public. And so there's no problem. And I think that uh, part of attraction rather than promotion is not only anonymity but also the spirit of humility which is uh, throughout the 12 steps. And... Uh, you know, if I'm trying to elevate myself instead of exercising as they state in here uh, self-restraint then it doesn't appear to me that it's very humble. Uh, so the more that I can let the uh, message speak for itself and the results speak for themselves uh, the better off we all are I think. Um, and you know the reading, although it uh, it seems to be more in terms of of anonymity, even though the this meeting is referred to as attraction rather than promotion uh, but uh, it is but again he uh, states at the end, so we should uh, criticize neither the people who wish to remain silent nor even the people who wish to talk too much about belonging to AA or OA in our case, provided they do not do so at the public level and thus compromise our whole society. Uh, and that is uh, a very vital message. And I think much of the 12 traditions are just common sense things that uh, I've often lacked common sense in my life. So it, it helps to have it written down in a form. And since, uh, since Bill Wilson was the one who wrote the 12 Steps and the 12 Traditions, I think he would be the one that would best understand what he had in mind in writing them. And uh, the more that we can, can do in studying these, uh, the better off we are as a whole and as, as individuals. And it get, gets back to me, to the spirit of the, of the first step, which again is humility and uh, and for me to really recognize that I'm not doing this for personal embellishment, that I'm doing it uh, for the sake of, of the other individual, just as people sacrificed themselves and went out of their way to uh, help me out in the early days and occasionally still do. Uh, so it is, uh, it is, I think, my duty and obligation to do the same thing and my, my love uh, to do that as well. Uh, if anyone is interested in anonymity though, uh, you can find, I think the best definition that you'll ever find is in the big book on page 125. Uh, if you ever want to read that, it's uh, a very good definition. I think it's it says more than the other writings that have been done on it. Uh, so, I think that that pretty much does it. How much time would I have left? I I probably have another 10 minutes. I'll just pass. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, Jack. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket.
1: This is Mary again, and uh, the question I have here is, um, how do you use the 12-step program to face issues that come up in everyday life? Well, the way I use the 12-step program is a couple ways. My thinking is kind of 12-steppy now. Um, I spend a lot of time in the first step, kind of like what Jack said, and there's a lot of stuff that I'm powerless over, and I create unmanageability in my life. So I kind of look at things in that regard, like, okay, what's my part? What am I doing here, you know, that's contributing to making this, you know, a bigger mess? Um, Okay, I'll give you an example. Work. Okay. Maybe this happens to you at work, too. I'm really good at what I do. Okay, now we have, we're down one, two people maybe at work. And I'm really good at doing their jobs, too. So, it's kind of like, Mary, could you fill in? Could you do this? Could you do that? You know, so-and-so's not here, you know, whatever. And, like, I'm building up this resentment now. And and it's like, okay, I'm doing my job. I'm doing this person's job. I mean, whatever. This is my reward for doing a good job. So now I have to uh, look at my role in this. Okay, first thing I do is I call my sponsor, I go, Doris, and she goes, you know, you're letting your job give you a lot of unrest in your mind, Mary, I think you need to turn this one over. I don't like that answer all the time, but anyhow, I think that's true. So okay, thank you, Doris, I hang up. And then I have to think of what my role in this. My role in this is a lot of pride, it's like, okay, look at me, I could do stuff, boy, isn't she good, man, she's like superwoman. I know about the rest of you superwomen here, but after a while you're like exhausted as superwoman, you're resentful. So my role is I'm not taking responsibility for myself. I'm not setting up boundaries. I'm not saying, Okay, this is doable, this is what I can do, this I cannot do. See, I want to give you the illusion I can do it all. But secretly I'm like really resentful inside that you are imposing on me. So the way I use my program is I have to do two things get honest and take responsibility. So getting honest with myself, really, I'm liking the kind of uh, the approval, the kind of good old Mary isn't she, great kind of thing. I like that kind of thing. And the honesty is it, it's not, it's I can't do it all. I can't do it all well. And I need to set up some boundaries. And the second thing is I need to take responsibility for myself and to put that out. Um, those skills are not ones I came into Overeaters Anonymous with at all. I did not know how to be self-honest. It was always your fault, and if you only knew and I had no idea how to really take responsibility for myself. I used to be responsible. You know, I'm one of those people born with a big R in the middle of the forehead. You want a job done? Give it to Mary kind of person. But the truth is I wasn't responsible for myself. So um, I use my program a lot. And um, as I mentioned before, it's a learning and growing thing. I, I, mean, I definitely am learning and growing all the time. Um, and And, um you know I, it, and the the thing that or the little tester that that I know that something's off base is when I get that slow burning resentment. I got to take a look at what's going on because I don't want to go using food or anything else to make the resentment be quiet. So, how about you, Jack?
2: yeah uh and this this is you know one of the primary areas that I use the uh the program with is just dealing with other other people in the fellowship uh, since I have the time available i've been <laughs> in a sense retired for several years now, so I have an opportunity to uh to share and the main thing is whether Dealing with other people is to maintain anonymity, uh, which I do. I got a couple of calls yesterday where I was able to share uh, an incident that recently occurred with with uh, with people, and who it was that was involved was irrelevant to the to the point. The point was that uh, it dealt with with confronting. People. The point was that uh, I've, I've done it and I've avoided doing it in the past and what the result was. And in some instances, as in one of the cases uh, where a person kept uh, focusing on, uh, on an issue that related to themselves as well, I stated that it seemed to, to me that it wasn't only the sponsee about whom they were calling me, but it was also an issue that they needed to deal with themselves. And, uh, and so they were able to see that and uh, thank me for it. But it also uh, comes up in other areas. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in uh, an area where there's uh, a person who, for whatever reason, has uh, consistently had problems with me and uh, went to the point of sending me a very vindictive email and my response was to do nothing uh, because if I did I felt it would just end up escalating and it wouldn't be of any service. Uh, The only thing that was done is that uh, a talk was given amongst some of the other people about the importance of of realizing that we're all in this thing together and that personal, uh, that we need to exercise uh, principles rather than personalities in all of our dealings. There's uh, another question here. How do you uh, share your program outside of the program? I related a little bit of that uh, earlier, Uh, but uh, One of the points is when I was when I was working, uh, I was always uh, open as far as what uh, what it was I ate or didn't eat. That I refrained from refined sugars and refined flours. The people with whom I worked knew that, and I was also always willing to share about uh, belonging to Overeaters Anonymous. And there's a there's a, a man uh, named Fred in the South Bay area and uh, he expressed it very well one time and when I heard him say it, I told him I'm going to quote you. So, uh, And he said that uh, his disease was stronger than his ability to protect his anonymity, which was was just great uh, because he uh, he realized that as as maybe I did in a a unique sense, that when there's a party at work or in another area and you're there and you, for whatever reason, may feel tempted to have something, if everybody or most of the people around you are aware of what you stay away from, uh, they can help you police yourself, which is really great. And they can ask you, you and I know a person who's uh, was an employee in a supermarket chain, and they openly told uh, the management about the program and about the foods that they stayed away from and asked them that if they saw them in a particular aisle or aisles of the store to get on the speaker and say, you know, so-and-so, what are you doing in aisle nine, you know, whatever it was, and uh, and that's great. Uh, it can it can really help save the day. And there was also someone recently who, who shared that what they think about when they're going through issues is the after pitch. That when they're going through a problem that they will end up at some point sharing about that at a meeting. And do they want to share that they went through the problem abstinently or do they want to share that they went through the problem and wound up eating? And that's that's also a good way of looking at it because when I share about having gone through a personal difficulty and I've dealt with a number of things as as most of us have over the years including uh, taking care of my, uh, my father the last uh, four years of his life uh, and there was a great, I was the primary uh, caregiver and there was uh, a lot of even though I, I love my father very much, there was a lot of stuff involved and a lot of the emotional issues. And by the grace of God, uh, the abstinence I have remained intact. And it's always knowing that uh, that is the most important thing. Because with that, without that, I wouldn't have been able to be of service as I was. And I wouldn't be able to be of service to other people uh, nor would I may, be of much value to myself and so that's extremely important. Would you like to say anything on that Mary? Or there's one other here. Okay.
1: I'll just comment briefly on the other one about where. I share my program outside of program. Uh, one is like Jack said, people know there are just certain kind of food items I don't eat so it's You know, with birthday time. I don't end up with a birthday cake and stuff like that. And the other thing is I belong to another 12-step program and I'm a double winner and there are a lot of double winners out there and oftentimes people have issues with food in the other program and I'll freely share, you know, there's another program because that's how I found out about OA to begin with too was through another 12-step program. So oftentimes I'll share that with other people in the other program and hopefully they will get some help too. Okay, next question. As a newcomer, how long was it before you started working the 12-step program? Um, as a newcomer, I really suffered a lot. Probably, you know, they, you, you, the suffering is kind of optional. And, and I'll tell you what, what the suffering was about. I went to my first OA meeting. First of all, I was in the other 12-step program, and someone told me about OA, and it's, you know, they have a program for people with food problems. Here's the telephone number. So I carried the telephone number around for a couple of months, and then I called the telephone number. I live in Northern California right now, but I got abstinent down here in Long Beach area. And um, I called that telephone number, and thank God it was an answering machine, so I really didn't have to talk with anybody. And uh, I left my number, and somebody called me back, and they told me about a meeting over in Torrance in a lady's house. And um, I'm originally from Northern California, so I really wasn't sure where Torrance was, but, you know, I think it was like in Timbuktu, the way I was going at this, like some kind of jungle expedition. But anyway, I started out to find Torrance. I found this lady's house, and um, I really didn't know um, about OA that much. I mean, I knew about 12-step programs, but I didn't really know about OA. And I remember going to this person's house, and everybody sat around the sofas, and I remember sitting kind of down by the fireplace on the floor. And... um, I heard people talk and say things I never, ever heard out loud. I heard my thoughts being spoken through the mouths of other people. And I just, wow, I, I just started to cry. I just cried and cried and cried. And um, they go around the room, and they said, we you want like to share. And, say, no, and they left. And I spent a couple more months. I didn't do anything because it kind of terrified me i did that was a lot of truth I didn't whatever, and I started to go back and um what what happened for me was um once you get a little taste of o a it's really difficult to go back and comfortably overeat. so I said I suffered because I sat on the fence like I knew there was a solution, but I wasn't in the solution. I knew there was a solution, but I wasn't in the solution i would um uh, you know, I, I would do things like go to meetings and leave the food item hot in the oven so it would be there when I got home. Because I, I had to handle the feelings from the meeting. You know, I just couldn't whatever. And, um, and, and so well, the question has how long did it take. It's going to take as long as it takes. But I know for me that it was a suffering. It was a pain. It was a pain of not doing something. That pain was greater than the pain I anticipated trying to get accident that got me off the fence. Um, and I, I just spent a lot of time sitting on the fence, you know. I, it was it was so hard to go to OA meetings and listen to people. I could be so happy. 30 days. Good for you. And inside I'm going, that will never happen for me, ever. And then going out and then just bending between that meeting and the next meeting. And it was the pain of sitting on the fence that finally got me, like, in a 12 steps. And um, I just made a decision one day. I said, you know, I've got to set a date. I'm going to set a date. And it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And that's kind of what got me started in doing something different because um, I I just uh, I knew what I was doing wasn't working, and I wasn't, you know, I was either going to, you know, I, I just in my little black and white thinking. I said, I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do it kind of thing. So let's just try it and see. It seems to work for other people. Why don't we give it a shake and see if it's going to work for you? So that's kind of how I started the 12-step program. I call it backing into it. The other thing that was different I thought for me is I used to sit in meetings and people were so happy they go, Wow, I got thirty days of since And I don't know about the rest of you as a newcomer. I was a very sad newcomer. I didn't feel this glee and this joy at the beginning. I felt a lot of sadness. I felt like I was losing something. I felt like I was losing my best friend. I felt like I was losing my only enjoyment of life. My my thing. I just it was it was a sad kind of thing. I've heard that since then, but at the beginning I didn't hear people experience the grief of losing something and getting abstinent. Um And so that was kind of scary. I kept going, "What is that whoopee part come? Because I didn't have that whoopee kind of part feeling at the beginning. But that was my story. I suffered. I went through grief and I started the 12-step program. And um, I'm really grateful for them. Did you want to add anything, Jack?
2: Well, uh for myself as a as a newcomer in a sense I I jumped right in, I got a sponsor uh right away and I actually started being of service at uh I found a meeting that I really liked. In fact a couple of meetings. Uh one of those meetings was about the the same size and number of people that we had last night at the uh at the opening here and uh that meeting consistently had uh, between three and five hundred people every Monday night. Uh, I haven't been to a meeting since uh, that was like it. Uh, so I got involved in uh, in service and I remember uh, calling our founder, Roseanne, to ask her a question about something and when she found out that, you know, how involved I was, she complimented me uh, for you know, diving in right away in a manner of speaking, and, and getting involved, and uh, so I think that uh, that service is uh, is very important. But in order to really give give service, I think it also helps to be uh, growing in awareness uh, of the program and of working it in my or our individual lives, and uh, the lady who saved my life took care of that because she was, uh, you know, people talk about following your sponsor's suggestions. Well, she didn't give suggestions; she gave directions, uh, and it was uh, follow it or else. And I'm very grateful for that. And whenever I uh, I call her, I express my love and admiration for her. Uh, so.
0: We will now have open sharing. We will have time for three shares. If you have already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. Would anybody like to share?
3: Hi, my name is Hope. I'm a compulsive reader. Thank you both um, for your stories. Um, I came to this um, topic, anonymity, attraction, not promotion, um, because it's a really important part of my um, service and my program. Um, I break my own personal anonymity with anyone. Um, because I think I'm a program of attraction. Um, you know, I tell people, oh, I was 200 pounds when I was a teenager, and they go, oh, you, know, you know, and that hooks them in. You know, kind of gets them in. And like, what did you do? You know, so then I go through the whole, um, I was a teenager very long ago. So I go through kind of like my whole history, you know, what happened, what were, you know, this didn't work, this worked for a short time, blah, 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 and now I'm in Overeaters Anonymous. <clears throat> And um, one really um, unique way that I try to attract people is my husband is uh, a physician, and um, he refers everyone to me. <laughs> it's like anyone he here, except, you know, give him my name. That's fine, you know, and try to suck them in. Um, but I know I'm only rep- responsible for planting the seed. You know, whether that person grabs onto it, it takes root, uh, is not up to me. It's up to God. Um I really believe that everybody gets what they need when they're ready to hear it. Um, When I was 16 years old, I was not ready for a spiritual program. I needed a pay and way. I needed something like that, Um, and it worked for me. But this is a progressive disease, and my eating was never as bad as it was just before I came into this program, and um, like one of the speakers, I knew something was really wrong with me. I could not. Stop. This was not like, you know, sitting down when I was eight years old with a bag of potato chips. This was non-stop. I could not stop. And and my first spiritual awareness or experience, well, I didn't know it at the time, was that I had this gut feeling that, you know, the diet, the pain and weight wasn't going to do it anymore. I needed something else. And I'm just grateful that I kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back my first meeting was October 11, 1977, and I have kept coming back and kept coming back because there is no other place to go. There is no other place to go if you're a compulsive overeater. This is the answer and this is our home. Thank you.
0: Anybody else like to share on anonymity? Attraction, not promotion? If you've had any personal experiences with it? Okay. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Thank you for giving service.